mother said I came back a changed person. I was a hard person when I came back. I was only 22. She said, you changed. I said, well, I think so. All I know is when we came home, I was ostracised in public. They wouldn't let us go into pubs. They knew we were military. They called us names. They accused us of being mass murderers and things like that. We couldn't understand why. And that hurt us for years. I had nobody to talk to because my father was an anti-Vietnam demonstrator. But I had a hard time talking to him about Vietnam, as I said, he's anti, so I had nobody to talk to about how I felt. When the war's over, is the war over? Let's hear what happened to three veterans when they came back to civilian life. This is Terry James. Course. We got nothing from the government at the time. It took a long time. That commission of Agent Orange took forever to get resolved, you know. And many people suffered from that as well, as well as physical wounds, a lot of mental wounds, of course. The government at the time did nothing. This is Philip Chin Kwan. I know that when we came home, we were never told to expect problems. We came home with a massive amount of money in the bank, a leave passed for two months, and just say, all right, Two and a half months report to so-and-so based for your discharge procedure. But meanwhile, we had to try to fit back into the civil world that we came from. We couldn't. We used to stick together as a group of soldiers. We'd go out drinking quietly. We couldn't go to public areas because we get ostracised. So we withdraw within ourselves or we'd go out in the scrub and sit down with a slab of beer and just drink ourselves silly. And, you know, because we were alone in a isolated area away from the public eye because being back in the public life in your own town or, or city or whatever it wasn't easy to adjust. And this is Bill Roberts. Dad uh, as I said was uh, and it was a major in the artillery so he was t- so he had his reasons for not liking or not agreeing with the Vietnam War. That's a free country it's a democracy yes but um, unfortunately um, I had to go to Vietnam, and he more or less said, when I came back, he said, well, it's your fault, you went. Because he, he used to demonstrate a lot and all that. Um, and the only embarrassing part about it is I used to borrow his car, which was a Wolseley 2480, and I was in my uniform and driving around the car with anti-Vietnam stickers all around it. So. I got married the first time and um, had no kids because my wife was scared of Agent Orange. Um, Got divorced after seven years, and everything hit the fan when I was about 48. I was a financial controller for Paramount Pictures at the time. My boss was the general manager of the company. It was a great job too. I had about 40 people working for me. And one day I just fell apart. I had to resign and leave, and yeah, it just fell apart. I, don't, I, I you know, I was, I was good at my job. I went, went to work one day, I said, what am I doing here? What's all this about, you know? Now I'm on a TPI pension. had a bad drinking problem, smoking problem. In our case, um, I know in Vietnam I, I was involved with a bit of drug taking, mainly marijuana, nothing hardline, no injection or anything. And that was probably one saving grace. I, I never saw very, very, very few Australian soldiers get hardline drugs. A lot of the diggers I knew, they went through two marriages. Bad out- outcome, they couldn't relate, they couldn't get back into society, couldn't hold jobs. I had 12 jobs in Albury Wodonga in 12 years. Dad lived at a place called Hornsby Heights, next to the bush, and I said, I'm going to the toilet, and I picked up my shovel and walked out, and he says, where are you going? I said, I'm going to the toilet. 
He says, what's wrong with the toilet here? My brain was still in, <laughs> in the mode overseas. Here I'm going with my, my, my shovel to go and dig a hole and have a, have a poo. And he says, what's wrong with, the, what's wrong with our toilet? Oh, that's right. You know, so your mind was sort of still all over the place, you know. I got diagnosed with full-blown post-traumatic about eight and a half years ago. Um, I started having collapses and I was ending up in North Shore Emergency, Hornsby Emergency, Wright Hospital and all that sort of thing. And it was all when I was at work. I was working in retail in Dick Smith's. And um, they couldn't work out what I had. They thought I had a brain tumour. They did MRIs and CT scans and all that sort of thing. They couldn't work out what it was. And they thought, maybe it's stress-related. And then they went through my history and I said, well, I'm a veteran. Oh, Vietnam boy. Yeah. Okay, do you have this? Do you have this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I started pointing out all these symptoms, depression, anxiety, um, flashbacks, um, anger spurts, uh, trouble sleeping and things like that. And they says, you know, you've got every aspect of, of post-traumatic that you can know. And I said to the doctor, what in the hell is post-traumatic? I had to get him to explain to me. And it was, you vets are all the same. You come back from, the, from being deployed, you go through all this anxiety and stress and everything. You can't talk about it to anybody. It gets bottled up inside. You hit the piss. And uh, I didn't dr drink before I was 20. When mm. I went in the army, that's when I started drinking. I'd have one beer and I was on my ear. By the time I got to Vietnam, I was drinking every day when I could. You, know, you couldn't drink when you're in the field because you don't get beer. But when you come back off, off um, operations, first thing you do is have a shower, put some clean clothes on, and you hit the piss. You don't even have a meal. That's all you've been thinking about. Oh, I've got to have a beer. And at five cents a can, you can get awfully drunk on a dollar. I, I was doing pretty well. I was a senior clerk. I, um, I, I thought I'd, I was pretty good on paper and everything else. And then late 80s, early 90s, things started going wrong. My local doctor said, yeah, you need to see a psychiatrist. And I said, no, 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 I'm not mad. Because he could see things that I couldn't. And my parents said to me, you're changed, you're a so-and-so. I said, no, no, I'm the same person. They can see things that you don't because you come back thinking you're normal because, you know, you don't notice any difference. It's your mates and people around you go, oh, he, he's a bit of a so-and-so, isn't he? He's cranky. They said I was cranky so-and-so. I threw a, a glass ashtray at my mother or my stepmother for saying that I didn't care about my father when he was sick. Because of things you've seen overseas, you become immune to that and you thought of, he's sick, so what, you know? It's sort of, you didn't feel sorry, and then she had to go to me with that, and I threw, I said, just because I don't show it doesn't mean I don't love my father. And uh, she, you know, lucky she ducked, because I think I would have split her head. She realised that, you know, things are not right. But I, then I realised that when I was at work, and I smelled something, or I heard the word Vietnam almost, my mind would just wander back for a few seconds, you know, and then come back again a few seconds. I mean, people say flashbacks, not what you see in the movies, go, you know, bang, bang, but your mind wanders back. You smell Vietnamese food, your mind wanders back. You know, you see a girl in the Vietnamese dress, you know, things like that, you know. It just, you, you don't tr think about it, it just happens. It's no big deal. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's annoying. I find that I couldn't concentrate after a while, and, and things that I used to do very well just didn't happen, you know. I'd write a paragraph, I'd leave paragraphs out, the boss would say, what are you doing? Why is it taking you so long? Why? Suddenly I realised my brain was no longer thinking anymore. It was, I was starting to go downhill, you know. And then I start seeing a psychiatrist and, you know, I've been I've seen him 30 years now. And that gives me a bit of relief for a little while. 
like I said, repressed everything for many years until 1987 when they held the Welcome Home Parade for Vietnam veterans. On October the 3rd, 1987, 22,000 Vietnam veterans marched in a Welcome Home Parade in Sydney. 100,000 people watched, including Prime Minister Bob Hawke. ABC TV broadcasted in full to 288 stations. That was organised by Vietnam veterans ourselves rather than the government or rather than any kind of official organisation. So we did it and I marched in that, I'm very proud, with my mates, we were about 40 odd then I suppose, about 40-ish, yeah. I could never march in an ANZAC or join an RSL for over 20 years. I didn't march till 1987 at the, the Welcome Home Parade in Melbourne. They had one in Sydney, they had one in Melbourne. And that was 16 years after I came home. And some of the guys I'd reacquainted myself with were guys I thought had died over there. For many, this is when things started to change. For now, I met Lynn, and we we're together 30 years now. So I've inherited her family and kids and grandkids, and um, it's like it's always been mine. You know, it's great. Again, I married late in life. Most guys, some of the guys I knew in Vietnam were already parents or getting married in their 20s. I didn't marry till I was 44. My wife, Audrey, was 26 at the time. I'm now the father of three kids between 10 and 20, and I'm 68. Things change a lot for us. Then I got involved in the RSL, and now I'm president of Formosby RSL Subbranch, which I love doing, looking after the younger veterans from Afghanistan and Iraq, better than we were looked after by the current veterans at that time. And the government, of course. So from about 1993-4, I started doing voluntary pension work. I've been doing it for nearly 25 years now. You assist the um, veterans or service, and now also peacekeepers, to make claims for disabilities that they think they might be entitled to and all that stuff. Um, a lot of times you go to, they used to go to the RSLs, they, used to, they could go to DVA, but a lot of them prefer to go to their own kind. A lot of people go to the RSL because they have their reasons, you know. Initially because... The RSL didn't recognise a lot of it, so they, a lot of them got cranky about that, and that's their decision, you know. Nothing wrong with the RSL, it's just that they, that was their decision. I've been a member for 48 years, so something just that they couldn't talk to, to people the same way they could talk to us. We run the RSL, and eventually, the guys from Af hopefully the guys from Afghanistan and Iraq and the other peacekeeping missions like the Solomon Islands and Timor and Rwanda will take over from us due course before we get too old. The, the only other thing is, is that if somewhere along the line you can mention the fact that there is help, we're one people, and we, they can have our address and number, and the people who um, feel they want to give us a call, they can, or they can ring somebody else. But uh, I feel that if they know that, uh, especially young ones, but we, we've dealt with them for the last God knows how many years, and we got very experienced people, so if they need help or they want to ask questions, they can contact us. It was a, um, an experience serving in the army, serving in Vietnam. You make the best mates of your life. I've known people longer, but they'll never be closer because you relied on each other, you saved each other's lives on many occasions. You were true mates in the sense of the word. And I feel good for it. I feel I'm a better person for it. You know, I might be harder, like my mother said, but I feel I'm a better person. So yeah, it's been, it's been a long journey. To me, a very rewarding journey. Produced by Neil Ashworth with support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Music by Clive Lane and Rowan Lane.